Okay, Shami, thank you again for coming on. Um, we've probably known each other a decade or better at this point, and um, you know, it's just seeing your work and seeing your your clients. I mean, it, it's it's really uh, it's inspiring. Um, I'm gonna let you do your intro on yourself. I'm gonna let you give your background, but uh, just let everyone know that doesn't know kind of who you are and uh, what you do. I'm Shomi Pawari, filmmaker, creative director, and producer. Uh, my hometown is Virginia Beach, Virginia, and I'm here to hang out for a few days and uh, we're visiting an old friend, Hamilton Perkins. And when you say hanging out, what is your version of hanging out? Because I know creative and uh, entrepreneurs, you know, have a different uh, definition of that. So. I mean, how do you start a day? Like, what's a typical day like for you when you're on, when you're, when you're back home versus, you know, when you're kind of on the road? Well, it's funny because for somebody that's in the film industry, I should be watching a lot of movies and TV shows and things like that. And all my friends are like, are you watching this show or that show? And I'm like, no, dude, I'm, on, I'm busy. I'm on set or... I'm traveling or I'm preparing for something. So right now I currently reside in New Jersey and um, you know, I'll travel to LA for a lot of my shoots. A lot of my production takes place in the East Coast, New York specifically, but it's just nonstop productions going on. And so it's funny, it's hard to get inspired from other media that's out there until I really just take a break. And so, like, when I do take a break, it kind of becomes homework at the same time. Mm -hmm. But I don't mind it. So, like, when I come back to Virginia Beach, I, you know, it's a lot more chill here. And I'll hang out with my old friends to recharge, catch up. And then even with my old friends, we'll just watch a few movies or, you know, just a very simple person. Mm -hmm. You know, because, like, I feel like I get to see a lot of the world. I get to travel i get to stay in this mansion or go shooting this like tunnel or some crazy places that the work takes me right so it's nice to come back to a chill area like virginia beach and just relax you know this is my hometown i always have an affinity for this place just because of the inspirations it gave me in the past you know i, I always tell people like for me, it's different. A lot of people are like, oh, well, if I was in L.A. or New York, I'd do better. For me, I think I did what I was able to do because of somebody that's, you know, raised in VA Beach. It's just a unique atmosphere here. Yeah, absolutely. It's like if someone's ever done it from where you're from, you could do it, too. And not in theory, right? I, I believe in that. Um, I'm going to take you back. What's like the earliest... Like, what's the earliest point where you figured out, like, you knew how to create? Like, I mean, we all are exposed to different things at different times, but, like, is there a moment that where you remember where you said, I can, you know, I can shoot stuff? Like, I can make something? Like, how does that, how does that work? You know, even before shooting stuff, my favorite thing has always been illustrating. Like, more than anything else, I've always been an illustrator. A lot of people don't get to see that side, but it's what got me in the creative world. When I moved to this country, I went to a school in New York City. I could barely speak English, but 
one day our teacher gave us like this like break time where you could just draw for fun. And I didn't realize I was good. I was drawing like some cartoons and all the kids around me were like, oh my God, look at his artwork. And so even though I had a language barrier, it's the illustrations that I did, that was it allowing me to communicate with people. So I feel like art can break all those barriers, right? So that's when I kind of had a boost of confidence because at first I was like, oh, you know, this is weird. I can't really talk to a lot of these kids. You know, I knew the basics. Hi, hello, how are you? And then, you know, just the basics. But I think it's the art that created friends. And, you know, that's always been a thing. Um, but, you know, I didn't think I was going to be creative growing up because as I saw my parents struggle in the beginning, I didn't think art was going to be the way out for me because I didn't see it for my dad. You know, my dad is very, like, well-educated, but, you know, he struggled a lot in the beginning because of the language barrier. Again, he was educated in, you know, we came from Bangladesh when I was eight. And so, and what you know, was your dad? my dad was in banking and accounting. And so when he came to this country, we, you know, left that life. We kind of had a pretty luxurious life in, you know, Bangladesh. We left that for new opportunities. And so, you know, when we came here, I saw my dad struggle. And I was like, I don't know if I should take a risk because he worked so hard to get, get us here. And there's this stigma in the art world or just the creative world of how much of a risk it is financially, you know, that you can't really make it doing art. So I was always hesitant about taking it too seriously. I knew I loved art, you know, growing up, even in high school, I loved every music video Spike Jones or Hi Williams ever made. It inspired me. Mm -hmm. And there was this itch. I'm like, oh, how do I release, you know, what I have in me creatively, you know, out there. I just didn't think it was going to be an option financially for me in the future. So I went to school for computer science because I was like, okay, well, I love video games and art. Maybe this is the bond to somehow get me in. And when my parents were computer science, they did, you know, they're like, oh, you're following the traditional path of all your other cousins, you know, going into engineering or computer science or doctors, you know, just the typical South Asian route. <laughs> so art was not something that I thought was an option um, and I know I've said this in many interviews, but it wasn't until I started finding out about all these other local creatives from this area mm -hmm. that came out and made it and that inspired me. So, you know, as early as Missy Elliott to then when I was in college, you know, in the computer science world, I was just feeling stuck. I was like, I don't know if my heart's in this mm -hmm. as I'm like learning how to program and all this stuff. I was kind of bored. And I had this itch for making art, but then I saw, you know, NERD, you know, I saw um, the Neptunes, Pharrell Williams and Chad Hugo, and I was like, wait a minute, these guys are from Virginia Beach? Mm-hmm. Like, if they can make it, maybe there's a way for me to, you know, make it. And it's funny because I was so inspired by them. At first, I just wanted to make music. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those guys, like, I just love almost every field in art. So I think that's why I eventually video made more sense for me because it incorporates the music, it incorporates art direction, it incorporates writing, it incorporates almost every spectrum 
and creativity and you get to build a world and being a director I get my hands in all those things so for me it made the most sense eventually to go into video production but it didn't happen immediately you know um, I think I took steps you know the evolution was programming using that programming knowledge to kind of see who would want to use those services and that led to me getting into web design and graphic design the web design part it helped because I had that computer science background the graphic design part helped because I always loved drawing and things like that so I had an eye for aesthetics and you know in the beginning me and my best friend we had a very similar uh, background I've known him since sixth grade and ironically our sixth grade teacher was Miss Williams Pharrell's mom and we didn't know that till much much later on <laughs> but Miss Williams was actually the first one to like also accept me for who I was because here I was still new to the country you know sixth grade that's three years in and still had a hard time adjusting I think edu to the education system here and Miss Williams gave me the confidence I don't even know if I deserved an honor roll but I got my first like honor roll certificate when she was teaching me you know she taught all the core classes and I always thought oh my god you know here's a person that's giving me a chance it, she actually helped me build my confidence say oh maybe I can do this you know I can, I can fit in I can adjust so she it's ironic that the two Williams that played a major yep. role in my life and I always every time I see Pharrell we don't see each other that much as much as I mention him you know I, I'll see him maybe twice a year right or three times a year um, but every time I do see him I make it a point to let him know like dude you gotta understand like how much of an impact you've had on me and you know last I saw him was at the festival but a week before the festival um, I was with one of my friends ASAP Ferg uh, artist from Harlem uh, from the ASAP mob crew and he's here Friday no is he I think so oh man <laughs> I think at the Norva he's here Friday and I'm actually back in New York Friday for a quick meeting and I come back wow that's crazy that would have been nuts um so yeah, you know, Ferg and I were in the studio with uh, Pharrell, and again, when I had that chance to tell him, thank you for inspiring me, you know, mm -hmm. I just do. We're just, jumping around. How did yeah. you meet, how, first of all, how did you meet Pharrell, but also how did you meet ASAP? Like, how did you... So, you know, I've had a few phases in my life. Like, the first phase of my life was this internship phase, unofficial internship. You know, I was making beats because I was inspired by the Neptunes and Timbaland. And as I was making beats, um, my mom was working at a jewelry store. And these local rappers had a very small record label, you know, was doing their thing. And my mom was like, oh, my son's into making beats. Maybe you should check it out. Which was crazy that my mom did that. But, <laughs> you know, my mom sent these kids my beat CD. They hit me up. My phone number was in the back. It's funny because... I felt like I was always ahead of the curve when it came to um, marketing myself, especially at that time, because here I was, I knew how to make my own website, I knew how to make my own CD cover, mm -hmm. I knew how to burn a CD, which was kind of rare in the 2000s. Um, so I did all these things to package this beat CD, and these local kids heard it, and they were like, oh, this is dope. And then those local kids found out I could also do their album covers and all these things. So I was just getting in the groove of like figuring this thing out. But to my parents, it was just a hobby. Mm -hmm. It was a safe hobby. You know, a lot of kids at that time in the 2000s were 
you know, doing illegal street races and all this other mm-hmm. stuff, I would, you know, just kind of be more into the music world. And so that gave me a chance to, like, try it out on a smaller scale. So anytime I would meet a local artist, I didn't care about the money. I was just like, hey, man, let me build you something just because it was me practicing, you know. It was fun just to see your own creation come to life and people observing that, you know, product. And so early on, you know, I was making websites for local artists. And then I ran into Nicholas F. Mm -hmm. through a good friend of mine, Kid Icarus, a.k.a. uh, Jared. Um, So Jared is somebody I met through a high school friend. And I knew Jared was working at Star Trek as well. At the time, Family, who was signed to Pharrell, um, was the artist that Jared worked with. So I was such a big Star Trek fan. When my friend told me, you know, you got to meet this kid, Jared. He's working with, uh, you know, Star Trek. I was like, oh, my God, I got I to meet this guy. So as soon as I met Jared, we hit it off. We had very similar interests. We were both clearly Neptune fans, and but we liked just making our own beats. And we were into all these things that were very... Similar, so Jared introduced me to an artist he was working with very closely, which was Nicholas F. And when I heard Nicholas F, I was like, oh my God, this kid's got it. And this was 2004. Mm. I heard Nicholas F, that really changed the course of what I was doing because now I was like, I wanna get Nicholas F signed. This kid deserves to be signed. So I was like, whatever I can do. So then I kind of, was in the situation where me, Jared, Nicholas F., my best friend Philip, we were all managed by um, uh, this crew uh, in that in the studio called Studio Seven Five Seven, and Magoo from Timberland Magoo was there as well, and he started managing us. Mm. But it was funny; I was around so much talent. I was around Hannon Lane, who ended up producing a lot for uh, Timberland, Nicholas F., who ended up you know, working with Drake very closely. And, you know, just all of us were doing all this music. One day Magoo kind of pulled me aside. He's like, yo, who made that website? I was like, I did. He's like, yo, I'm going to be honest. I've been in music forever. It's not an easy game to be in. You have a lot of talent and these other things. I honestly think, why don't you come from a different angle and just really focus on the web design, the technology side of things. And you know what? I felt like, you know what? I think he's right. I respected him and kind of followed that lead into just saying, you know what? I can always come back to music yep. however I want. And so what happened was through Jared, I met another person that made a huge impact on my life, Doug Life, who was an A&R at Star Trek. And so Doug saw what I did for Nicholas F., made my own DVDs and things like that for Nick. This is before YouTube era. Like, this is before it was easy to just film something. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we were filming on cassette tapes. There was no social. There wasn't like oh, a social media didn't exist. The closest thing was a forum. Mm-hmm. And so it was funny, as I was working with Star Trek, Doug letting me in that circle, Pharrell, at that point, wasn't really staying in Virginia Beach. But he had all these artists that were signed to him. Kenna, Family, um... You know, NERD, um, the clips. So those four artists were always in town. And those are the ones that I really became close with. So Pharrell would hear my name here and there because he would see that I'm working with his artists. So really my bond with Star Trek Records 
happened because of how closely I worked with the Clips. You know, when the Clips were going through a label issue, I was the one that said, hey, let me go make you a mixtape cover. Oh, let me go download these beats. Back then, you couldn't just download instrumentals. You know, it wasn't that easy. Yeah, so YouTube about. didn't exist. A lot of these things didn't exist. So I was a little computer savvy. I was way more computer savvy than they were at the time. So they really took advantage of that by saying, yo, show me, do this, do that. Uh, you know, I was the one figuring it out. You know, when they didn't have a website up anymore, I was the one who redesigned it. So, you know, whether you're talking about Family, The Clips, or Kenna, we were doing web designs for all of them, and they were all Pharrell's artists. And then I was working closely on uh, the third NERD project and kind of was just listening to the music and letting Shay know, you know, this is what I think. And then he was like, oh, design our MySpace page. And what we were doing was very unique back then. MySpace was like the real first wave of social media. Mm -hmm. And we were kind of in the forefront because we knew how to customize them to make it look completely different. It was like an experience. You know, we were doing like flash-based designs and things like that, so. What were um, you using? Were you using like Photoshop or something? Yeah, we were using Photoshop. We were using Dreamweaver. We were using Dream Macromedia Flash. So we were using all these different tools and we had a good team, good, good uh, few friends. And by the time I graduated, I was already really cool with all the guys at Star Trek. Um, it gave me the confidence to kind of say, you know what, me and my best friend, we decided to save all the money we made from designing mixtape covers and flyers and websites. We saved up all our money that we made while we were in college. And, you know, we had to kind of confront our parents and say, you know what, I know you'd want us to get into this computer science world and actually work for somebody, but I really feel like I want to start my own multimedia company. And... My parents were like, you know what? That's fair. It's your money. Try it out. See how it goes. It was that easy. It, it, that it's not like as really, easy. It sounds easy, but it's not easy. Moment when you're. It's a pivotal saying, moment. I'm going in a different direction. I'm, yeah. I'm gonna hang out my shingle. It's uncertain, but I love you at the end of it. Like. Yeah. That's an, that's. I mean. If it was that easy. <laughs> it wasn't that easy it because people easy. don't see the parts where you have to stay up all night um, but learning you, these things. But for you to convince them. Oh, convincing them? Only reason it went that route because I had just graduated. You had traction. I, I, well, I told them like, hey, I did what you wanted me to do, which was graduate. Now, this next phase in my life is pivotal and I feel like I've got a lot of traction. I'm working with you know, Star Trek records, I'm working with Knots, I'm working with Danger Hands, all these artists, they're all blowing up at the same time. All these producers that were not producing locally, you know, these guys were all doing big time hits. One was producing for Justin Timberlake and, wow. and another with Madonna and all this stuff was going on. So my parents, even though they didn't really get it, they're like, all right, well, you know, our son's always stayed out of trouble. So this can't really, you know, be that bad. So... As easy as it sounds, it wasn't easy because it wasn't easy to make money in the first place to even save up for an office. I mean, you know, we were doing flyers for $50, you know? Flyers. And we were doing mixtape covers for $100. And so, like, to make, you know, to save up $10,000, <laughs> it's a lot of flyers and mixtape covers. Um, and, you know, not everybody wanted web designs back then. Not everybody could afford it. So, um, 
we did what we could to save up our money. So when me and my best friend, Philip Lee, put our money together, we got our first office. But it's not as easy as you think. It was a lot of sacrifice. Yeah, it may sound easy, but all these other kids we knew were were partying. We weren't partying. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the same college experience as everybody else did. While everybody else was partying in college or um, enjoying themselves... I did, you know, I I was working. I was staying up all night learning all these things because I didn't have the luxury of going to school to learn it. So I had to apply it uh, and 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 figure it out on my own. So no, it wasn't easy. Got it. But I think my parents did see how passionate I was, and I think that kind of sold them. You had built a bunch of credibility going into it, selling and marketing and taking on projects. Where when that point came. They just said, you know, we can see this. Yeah, because like, I made a little bit of money at that point. Mm-hmm. So they were like, okay, if he's responsible enough to make this much money on his own, let's see where it goes. And I was still staying home with my parents, so it was risk-free, you know. Um, we saved up all our money. We got this studio um, in Virginia Beach. Uh, a few of our close friends that were also creatives um, that we met on social media at the time, which was MySpace, and they all joined us. And from there on, like, we launched Elusive Media. And I think, you know, we were one of the few companies that were working with, you know, a celeb clientele. So that helped. Yeah, I can recall you guys having, like, major commercial and celebrity. I mean, I'm interested in the, like, commercial and the brands. Yeah. Stuff. Like, you were stu- like were you, you were doing stuff for, like, Pepsi or something back yeah, then? Yeah, like, so... that type of thing? The Pepsi about? project happened because um, Pharrell had done a collaboration with BBC Ice Cream and the Pepsi cans they had. So they custom-designed all these Pepsi cans. And in the back of the Pepsi can, there was a website that you were supposed to go to. Um, which was part of their marketing campaign. And Shay was like, dude, we owe them a website. We didn't realize it was us that owed them that website. And we don't know any agency that's crazy enough to do it in five days, but we need it in five days. So I took a leap of faith. I didn't ask for like a deposit or anything. It was a very challenging website. We created this like interactive world that's Neptune's based. And um, we created this flash interactive website on our own. In five days, no sleep, nothing. And, you know, I didn't know if we were ever going to actually get paid for it or whatever. I really still wasn't used to the idea of invoicing clients. Mm. It was just a very hard hard thing for me at first to uh, ask for money. Because I just loved the work so much. Mm-hmm. I didn't care about the money. Um, but, you know, um, we did that website at a time where we were starting to run out of money to keep the company going because it was easy to run it out of your bedroom. You had no expenses. But once you have an office, you've got overhead. You've got employers. You've got utilities. You've got rent. Random random things, taxes. All these things were coming up. So we weren't seeing a profit. But then when we did that website, we did it in five days. And then Pharrell's manager was like, send us an invoice. And we didn't know how much to send it for. It was like, let's just take a guess. Said, eh, let's try 30000 She didn't flinch at all. Yeah. Sure, send it over. It's like, what? It's <laughs> like, okay. So five days worth of work, we made $30,000. We did that website, and a lot of people were looking at it, and another website came that was very similar, but it was, this time it was for the airport, Newport News Airport. The budget was even higher. It went up to 50000 How did you get that? They found um, you? You know, there was another company named Grow, 
they're gigantic now. They're massive. So grow. I kind of knew Drew. I looked up to him as well. Really loved what he was doing with his company. But Drew was so massive that at the time they weren't doing anything under a hundred thousand. So they recommended to go with us to get it done. That's amazing. So that was really nice of him. I will appreciate him for that. Um, so Drew sent the Newport News Airport our way. And once that came out, we started getting more corporate work. Because it's like when you're working with artists, independent artists, there's not that much money. You know, they'll spend what they have. But when you're starting to work with these corporate clients, that's when you start seeing the real money. So we started seeing $50,000 contracts. And that was awesome. But at the same time, we were also like building these crazy interactive websites, things like that. And then I think it was 2008, 2009, the recession happened. How did that impact it? Oh, man. Is that crazy? Completely destroyed my company because... Just the budgets dry The up. budgets were all People gone. People are scared. Like, People are scared to spend money. The music industry no longer knew how to make money. Nobody was buying CDs. Crazy, crazy time in my life. Um, basically, like, we kind of folded at that time. Mm -hmm. So, like, we were... We had that office for about three years... And then we kind of hit a peak, and right after that peak, we saw it all go down. Uh, we downsized. We still kept the office, but it was very small. Um, the crew got small. A lot of people that were working with us kind of started their own things. All these other companies were coming out of it, which I always thought was cool, you know, like Viz Inc. came out of that, and a few other companies came out of that whole situation, which was awesome. Um, but, you know, we downsized. We just had to figure it out. And at that time, we weren't really a company that was doing too much video. Mm -hmm. So when that economy kind of tanked in 2009, 2008, I had to figure out myself again. I was like kind of over it anyways, dealing with like the web design world. And the other thing is social media taking off, less people needed websites. Mm. So we didn't even really have a market anymore. And so we kind of had to figure it out. We had to embrace, you know, whatever it was that was going on. And during that era, uh, the DSLR cameras were starting to come out. Now here, again, we always like to be, you know, ahead of the curve. So when we saw like these cameras were shooting things for such low cost, they didn't cost that much money, but they looked like, at the time, they looked like really expensive budgeted projects that were coming out of these Canon DSLRs. So, <coughs> sorry. So, in 2009, I kind of took a break, started experimenting with this camera, and No Malice, formerly known as Malice from the Clips, was kind of going through a spiritual struggle, which I could relate to too as well, because I felt like I kind of got burnt out as well. And so both of us kind of we're going through a similar phase with two different things happening in our lives. And we got very close and we wanted to make some content that reflected, you know, um, something that you didn't see from celebrities. And so he was making these spiritual like videos, these vlogs, and he bought me a camera and he bought me my Canon 7D. Him and Pusha T bought that camera for me. And we said, hey, in exchange, I'll do your next music video. And when we did their video using these 
latest cameras and technology, other people saw it's like, oh my God, how is this like being done by you guys? We're like completely new to video, but it looks really good. Mm -hmm. And it was because, like I said, we were ahead of the curve, you know, utilizing the technology that most people weren't. So I think we were now, you know, getting into this video world. And so once we did something, we were lucky because the Clips was already a client of ours. So now if we're like going into a new business, we could kind of go back to our old clients and offer that. So now we had a new product focusing on video, but we're in Virginia Beach. How much video are you gonna get done? How many big artists can afford that? So we did what we could, downsize the company, but you know, I was working with Knotts. Through Knotts, we met Asher Roth. Through Kenna, which I did a video for as well, we met Lupe Fiasco. So we were, even though we were in Virginia Beach, we were starting to attract people from other places in the country. So David Banner would fly out from ATL. Um, you know, Asher Roth would fly out from, I think, Pennsylvania at the time. Um, Lupe Fiasco from Chicago. So we were bringing all these people to Virginia Beach. And I kind of fell back in love with the hustle of uh, this sort of business. And there came a point where I kind of hit a wall being in Virginia Beach. And I was trying to figure out, okay, like, I don't think I can keep doing this in Virginia Beach because a lot of these artists are also leaving this area. So, um, what's a wall? Because I'm thinking there's two sides of it. You can yeah. be, you know, you can really find opportunity because there's not a lot of competition, but then there's like this supply and demand kind of thing. That's the thing. There's only but so many of the ideal sort of collaborators and clients. So that kind of forces, it, it acts as a forcing function the, where it sends you. The thing about Virginia is it's a double-edged sword because it's like a lot of people are still very conservative and it reflects the art community as well because nobody wants to really take those major risks. And so you feel kind of stuck. Um, but at the same time, cost of living is so low, you could take these risks in the beginning. Mm -hmm. You can experiment. So while cost of living was low, we were able to just again do what we did in the beginning, which was just do music videos for free to build a portfolio. So here I was used to making a lot of money off of web design, found a new hustle, but had to kind of restart again. Mm -hmm. And so I realized it's okay to restart. In life, you're gonna run into these obstacles and you know bumps on the way. You climb all the way up, and you gotta humble yourself when you come back down again. And that's what it was. I had to humble myself, just be hungry, and just remember that same hunger I had when I was in college. But this time it was a new industry, you know? And we weren't in LA or New York, so, you know, we did what we could. But when I say I hit a wall, I felt like, okay, I think I networked as much as I could here, mm -hmm. you know? Worked with as many collaborators, because a video is not a one-man job. It can be, like when we were doing it, it was just me and Philip, my best friend, making these videos, but it's really not a one-man job. And I didn't realize that till much later, which actually was advantageous for me because I kind of did this with such a small crew, so DIY, it attracted the attention of uh, this retail company, online retailer called Karma Loop. 
So Karma Loop at the time was the biggest streetwear uh, online shop. They were doing at the time 100 million. So my friend from Virginia, Julian, aka Little Internet, he kind of helped start Karma Loop TV. Mm. So they had just opened an office in New York. They had just brought Pharrell on board as creative director. All the pieces were coming together. I was like, wow, I think this is going to be my way out of Virginia. Not to knock on Virginia, but I love coming back here. And I'd hope to, like, build something bigger here so all the other kids can kind of, you know, have a better shot. Um, But I knew it was my time to leave. Um, I had just gotten married as well. So me and my wife... She was kind of like, Virginia is cool, but, uh, you know, we just started our life. And uh, my wife, Poonam, who's now my producer for all my videos, you know, she encouraged me to like, you know what, go take this job at Carmel Loop. So it wasn't easy, though. I had to prove myself again, like kind of like an internship. I kind of had an internship at Carmel Loop. Again, had to humble yourself and did the internship thing kind of. And they were like, all right, I think we really need you. And flew out to Boston where the headquarters were. Sat down with the CEO. Had to convince him why he needs to hire me. Was that Greg at the time? Greg Selko. Yep. Amazing guy. Selko really looked out. Selko and Julian, if it wasn't for them, and on top of that, Pharrell's co-sign, I wouldn't, you know, be in this industry. So those guys gave me an opportunity of a lifetime to kind of really do my thing and create this channel where... I do music videos the way I wanted. And at that same time, my brother was starting to make music. My brother's seven years younger than me. He had always been around artists, but he was much younger. He absorbed a lot of um, street smarts from what I was doing. And so right around that era, when I'm about to move out of Virginia Beach and go to New York for this new job, we discover an artist, ASAP Rocky. And when I say we discovered, it's not like, you know, we created him, but we were part of their journey early on. So when we had found out about ASAP Rocky, my brother went ahead and just reached out to them, just a cold call type of thing. You know, he just started DMing them on Twitter and Facebook. So he became good friends with Ferg. My brother was just making beats with his crew very rare for the first time. Um, he'd be somebody cool to for you to interview as well. He's actually here right now. Done. Um, so he started making music, and he would always kind of also use me as a um, conversation starter too. If the music thing didn't click with whoever he was talking to, he's like, "Well, my brother makes videos. He's done it for so and so." So with Ferg, that's how we got introduced to him. My brother made some beats for him. I remember one day. We didn't think anything was going to come out of it. We're watching Coachella live, and they come out to my brother's beat, the ASAP Mob. Wow. I was like, wow, this is your first beat you ever made, and this is what they come out to on Coachella? <laughs> this is nuts. <laughs> Some of it is luck, but luck, you know, comes to opportunity. and Hard work. Yeah, hard there. work. So now, you know, we kind of ran our course with what Star Trek was. Star Trek was trying to phase out anyways. That was so much part of our brand that we had to, like, find a new movement Star Trek movement kept Virginia alive it really energizes a lot of people so many kids wanted to sign to them or be like them but that phase was kind of going away and this new phase was ASAP 
And so I did what I did with Star Trek in the beginning. I said, hey, whatever you guys need, I got you. Now I had Karma Loop to back me up. Karma Loop didn't care about making money off of videos, so it was very ideal. They paid me a salary. They said, create some cool content and it'll help us drive sales anyways sales. to our websites. Mm -hmm. So when I was at Karma Loop, I reached out to ASAP Ferg, reached out to ASAP Rocky, ASAP Yams. They're like, hey, we need videos. And you're down to do them for free? Sure. So it didn't matter to me. At that point, I was getting a decent salary. Uh, it was like my first six-figure salary going in. You know, in New York, you need that. Oh, you yeah. can't work. You can't live there unless you make a six-figure salary. So it's not a big deal making a six-figure salary in New York. Um, so I was making a decent salary, uh, doing what I loved, helping kind of build the ASAP uh, visual aesthetic, you know, like kind of creating their brand as well, which was a really trippy, very psychedelic look. And so I was experimenting and I was getting to experiment with them. So we kind of create, created this new look that I think now you'll see a lot of places. I'm not trying to be solely taking credit for it. No, I can but, see the direction. I mean, but we were early catalog. And yeah, we were early adopters of doing like really left field weird visuals with these crazy VFX and hip hop videos. And so, and we did it in a very DIY fashion. So we did ASAP Ferg's video for work that eventually got him signed to RCA. We did a lot of videos for Rocky. Um, so all these videos, it's great for me because ASAP Mob was like killing it at that time. So having that as a clientele opened up new doors and that opened the door to work with Major Lazer. Um, the In first what time, way, how did that? So first time we worked with Major Lazer was just working with Diplo. I was a cinematographer for a video that, um, you know, a little internet directed. So I was a DP in that, and so Diplo loved what we did. That eventually went to Beyonce. She loved that video. So that's how our, our Beyonce project came together. I was the cinematographer on the Beyonce video. Julian was the director. And that helped propel everything. Um, having Major Lazer, ASAP Rocky, and Beyonce in your portfolio, and still being kind of new to the video industry is kind of unheard of. And so within the first two, three years of me being in this now video world, we had all that in our portfolio, and that now led to bigger budgets, you know? And at the same time, Karma Loop was going through some changes. Um, their video stuff was killing it, but financially on the um, retail end, they made a few mistakes, I would say. So it really impacted them. So I was exiting out of that company. Then I went to the fader. Um, How another, was that at the Fader? Fader was cool. Um, it gave me a lot of new perspective because Fader, honestly, is just an agency. So it was the cornerstone agency. So what Fader did was they were creating a lot of cool cultural content, throwing festivals and things like that. Um, but, you know, a lot of that stuff is sponsored content. So, like, I got to see, like, okay, you know, how Vice did it, how Fader did it. So when I was working with the Fader, it started becoming a conflict of interest with what I want to do because when Complex would reach out to me, I couldn't work with them. If Vice reached out to me, I couldn't work with them because I had a non-compete with like Fader. Sponsored content. But also, I was trying to get burned out at Fader. We're a very small crew. 
And that was my whole thing. People knew me for show me can get the job done for very little. And I was starting to get sick of that way of working anyways. And so I even started getting sick. I was starting to get vertigo. Oh, wow. I was working myself to death, man. So you know, I respectfully resigned my position at the fader. Took a little bit of a time off to figure out life. It was a big moment in my life. It was a huge leap of faith to just like leave a job and be in New York and be jobless and think, oh man, can I do this freelance? But my wife supported me. And without my wife's support and confidence, I couldn't have done it. So ironically, it's just like, as soon as I left the fader, I started getting all these big, big offers all of a sudden to do bigger videos. You know, my first big budget video was like a $40,000 budget, which now isn't that much for me. But like at the time, getting $40,000 was a lot. And then we jumped from 40000 to 60000 jumped from 60000 to 150000 And now we'll do video budgets, campaigns that add up to a million dollars. So here I was, the kid that came from a basement doing $50 flyers to now on an average $50,000 to million dollar campaigns. It's a long journey, mm -hmm. 10 years. Yeah. Doesn't happen overnight. 10 years, 10,000 hours. Yep, exactly. And I really feel like I really figured it all out as far as how to not repeat the same mistakes, mm -hmm. but you'll never figure it out. It's always <laughs> a learning experience. Every day you're gonna run into something new. There are always bigger things that are always gonna come. So now I am in the process of um, getting into the TV world. You know, we did a documentary uh, a year ago on Wu-Tang Clan for mm. the 25th year anniversary. We won nine telly awards for that. Um, we did a video uh, for this artist, Ava Max, who's actually from Virginia Beach. We worked with her when she was 14. She finally got signed when she was like 24 or 22. We did her first video. Um, ended up now being one of my highest videos. Ava's video for Sweet But Psycho now is at 450 million. Wow. And we also did Ric Flair Drip that year, close to 400 million. So like a combined total, I think, of all the work we've done now, as far as videos since 2012 is at, you know, 2 billion views. I was gonna say billions of views. Yeah, so like the work kind of promotes itself. Mm -hmm. And what is different today? Because I know, I know what you mean when you, you kind of come from you know, like a humble beginning and you're, you know, you're doing stuff on spec or you're doing stuff for very little and then now the budget is there. I mean, are you spending, how do you spend your time? Or are you spending more time just kind of really focusing on the creative stuff? And you, you know, it's funny. Biz dev or like it's funny because we always keep our productions to a minimal as far as our company goes. We hire everybody out, freelancers. So, you know, on set, on any given day, you'll see anywhere from 30 to 100 people on set, but they're all independently contracted. You know, it's good for them, it's good for us because they get paid instantly when they work with us. I've talked so much about the creative, but I don't talk about the business side other than like, you know, how hard it was, but it's a lot of things we do business-wise to make it work. Um, we try to keep our expenses as low as possible as far as, um, you know, uh, just making the right investments, you know? Um, I would say 
other thing that helped me, you know, the last six years, last six, seven years, really, really being in the video industry, like, I mean, I know I think I started out, I would say 2012 is when we really got serious with it, right? And now it's 2020, so what, is it eight years? Eight years. Eight years in, over the last eight years, as I was making money, more than business, it's how you live your personal life. Mm. So personally, I was actually very frugal in the beginning, you know? Um, in the beginning, even though I was making a six-figure salary, I was living in a one-bedroom apartment in Queens for the first five years. And it wasn't until I felt like, okay, I'm growing out of this. Like, I physically can't run my business because I'm stuck in this one-bedroom apartment that I decided to move. But while I was in that one-bedroom apartment, paying as low rent as I could, and still pretty high in New York, but doing what I could, the benefit was I was still in New York. So the clientele was, you know walking distance, take the subway to meet these agencies, things like that. But my cost of living was very low. We don't, me and my wife, we don't really, we didn't spend that much money. We don't always eat out. So one aspect people don't know about is your personal self too, how you live in your personal life. Very minimal living. I think I embraced minimalism even without knowing that movement mm -hmm. existed. Just was doing it. Just was doing it. I was a minimalist. Bought a few pair of clothes. A lot of these clothes were free that we were getting just being around, you know, a lot of these major companies. So I lived a very minimal lifestyle, especially the first six years, toughing it out. Then I moved to Jersey and bought a four bedroom home. Out of that, we have our own office space. I'm able to have like my close producers and editors come by. We have four bedrooms that they could stay overnight. So even my house was like a business expense, really. I write off a big chunk of it yep. because I operate out of there. But we were very minimal. And throughout those six years, I invested in um, four homes in Virginia Beach. I bought these townhouses in Virginia Beach. And it's been a blessing this year, finally, after doing these major, major campaigns, we made enough money where I, you know, I was able to pay off all six homes. And so now, financially, I'm in a position where I can say you know, no to a client if I really don't feel like it doesn't make any sense for me. It's not motivated by any money. It never really was, but definitely now, mm -hmm. it's motivated by how is this going to elevate what I'm doing, yep. you know, my brand and who I am as a director. So I will pick and choose. And that's not to say I won't work with the smaller guys. Honestly, this financial situation I'm in now because of the real estate expenses, the money the real estate makes me isn't that much, but it's enough where all my life expenses are taken care of. Mm -hmm. So this year I've been able to reach out to smaller companies and help them out, you know, give my time to the smaller guys again because there was a period where I had to just take on major work and I couldn't stop. I could only work with you if you had this much of a budget. Yep. Now I'm at a time where I'm kind of in a business mindset of consulting companies, helping restructure people's you know, approach to production and things like that. So I'm doing these other things too. I'm helping develop other brands. So I'm kind of in that world now.
how do you connect with agencies and just like what's that like are they you know you, out or you, you know that's always been a mystery to me as well <laughs> so the way it happened for me was relationships you know these agencies came because half of them were in my interns at one point mm. they were my interns five years ago now they're all doing great working at agencies so they come back mm-hmm. so the the planning um networking but I mean, how, like, how important is it to really, like, minimize your, like, your personal burn rate or, like, your personal sacrifices, like, not working uh, or, you know, not, not going out, you know, and, and, and working instead with those hours? I'll tell you this. You could work a nine to five and I have no issues with that because I did. Um, but no matter what, I feel like. Not all of us are going to have all the luxuries of amazing, wealthy parents that are going to invest all this money into you, right? Not all of us come from that same background. Um, My parents now are very well-to-do, but they didn't always have everything. Um, I think somebody like me who first came to this country living in a one-bedroom with, you know my parents and my brother. If I was able to tolerate that, I felt like if I survived that, I could, any moment now, if I lose it all, I'll be okay with it. Mm-hmm. You're good. I'm good because I know how to live with very little. Mm-hmm. You know, I know how to restart. Um, and that, that comes with being able to just be humble. Mm-hmm. And just be grateful for what you have. A lot of people don't have gratitude. And that's the issue. Um, also, a lot of people want to just live in the moment. Like, everybody wants instant gratification. We're in this culture of instant gratification. And a lot of the times, it's not even instant gratification for themselves. I think a lot of people look for validity. So, with social media, everybody wants to po- post their vacations. Everybody wants to post their brand new um, whatever it is that they want to show off. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. I like to, you know, flex a little bit here and there <laughs> for fun, but that comes with time, you know? Yep. And it's a personal thing, you know, if that's what makes you happy, sure. I know for myself, like, even a buying, like, a car that I never thought I could afford, uh, I bought one, I was happy for a day. <laughs> it's gone. Yep. The happiness is gone. Mm-hmm. Like, Material possessions from time to time. I've done this where I, when I was younger, I bought this card, that card, this thing, that thing. I was only happy, happy for a brief moment. And at that, at this point now, I look at those things as more like a trophy. You know, cool. I did this. I I deserved this. Mm-hmm. I worked hard enough to deserve it. You know, so that's kind of how I look at it. It's like a celebration thing more than anything else. Um, it's nice to want luxuries. But the luxury of time is the most important valuable asset. So wasting time is my biggest pet peeve. It's just like when I see that from people, I'm like, man, you are throwing away precious time. You know, like I get it. You know, the American ritual is every Sunday to sit down, watch the sports games and catch up on all this TV or you know how much if it, at all are you watching tv are you watch? do you ever watch tv or do you watch TV? i do now but again i told you i'm in that 
recharging phase. Mm-hmm. I'm watching TV because it kind of inspires me to come up with ideas and things like that anyways. But even then, like, no, like, these daily rituals that people have, like, always having to go out to eat, always having to do this and that, you'd be shocked how much money you can save, how much time you can save. If you invest that time into your own business, later on, you can do all those things carefree. Like I said, I'm at a point now where... I have enough real real estate investment. If I wanted to retire, I could. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can retire, come back in Virginia Beach, never have to work a day in my life. But that won't make me happy. So I'm going for that next. You gotta create. I gotta keep creating. You know, I'm thirty. I'm about to turn thirty-eight in February twentieth. So while I still have this energy, I'm gonna keep going hard, you know? What's inspiring you right now? Like, are you- Oh man, television, a lot of great television. I've been watching a lot of great movies. Mm-hmm. Television, it inspires me. I really, I mean, I, I really did this because I love music, but I also love movies growing up. So, you know, a lot of people are like, oh man, you've done so much. I'm like, no, I haven't, dude. I haven't even done a television show yet or a movie yet. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the film industry. I haven't done either of those. I've, I've done commercials, done music videos. I've done short movies, short documentaries. I want to do full-length features. And I feel like it's going to be the same thing again, learning how to ride that bike again. It's going to be that same thing. I'm willing to make those sacrifices again. You kind of start at the bottom. And yeah. Build your way You up. know, you always start. start when you moment. do something new, always start back at the bottom and you got to humble yourself. Mm-hmm. Just when you think you're at the top, you're top of something... When you're trying to do that next new thing, you're going to be back at the bottom again. Mm-hmm. Be humble. Learn from others. You know, I don't care if I have to be an a intern or a PA on set of a movie. You just want to be in the game. I just want to be in the game. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, like, you know, I used to, like, amount success when I was younger to net worth and things like that. And, you know. After making the millions and all this stuff, I realized it's just a number. It means nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, study says, like, there's some research that says there's a certain amount of money you can make that's your peak happiness. From my personal experience, I'll agree. Like, I'm not any happier now having all the luxuries I have now versus when I was in my one-bedroom apartment in New York. Sometimes I was happier then. I think happiness comes from... Being a little naive, being able to dream. Once you achieve the dream, that's like, ah, oh, it's here. It's the process of achieving the dream is more fun. Mm-hmm. And people for always forget that. The process. You know, I always look back and get nostalgic about the struggle. I'm like, oh, that was actually fun. Dreaming, you know? That's why it's called a dream. So, like, you know, once you achieve your dream, you gotta keep going and dream bigger. What advice would you give to yourself or any young person now that, you know, whether they're in Virginia or you know, if they're somewhere else and they're, they're trying to, they, they want to put themselves on in this industry? I mean, what, how does that look today versus, you know, then and kind of what, what do you tell them, I guess? I tell people when I started out, it was harder because we have all this technology. Mm-hmm. You know, you couldn't just buy a camera from Best Buy. And make a video and upload it to YouTube and have millions of audiences. So more than ever now, 
you could be in Virginia Beach, make everything from scratch, and have an audience of millions because we're all connected to the web. I mean, what I'm saying sounds very generic and basic, but I'm being honest. Like, I see a lot of kids sometimes like, oh, if I lived in L.A., I'd be so much better. Oh, if I lived in New York, I'd do so much better. People forget the grass is always greener. New York is expensive. L.A. is expensive. Build as much as you can here locally. Be the biggest thing you can be locally. And you can keep doing that through the internet anyways, right? Because most people see everybody through the lens of the internet now anyways. So it doesn't matter where you're from. Half the time people don't know where I'm from. You know? Some people are like, oh, are you still in Virginia Beach? Oh, are you in New York? Oh, are you in L.A.? No, dude. I really am a nomad, honestly. Mm-hmm. And you can be. That's the luxury we have. You know? Um, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, I don't even have the money to start. Dude, we're doing a podcast right now on an iPhone. Yep. And that's it. You know? You can make a movie on an iPhone. Mm. That looks better than the kind of movies I made back then on tapes. So there is no excuse. If you can afford a phone that can record video, you have all the tools you need. It's just a matter of good taste. It's a matter of humbling yourself and learning under somebody. You know, just be humble. And if you are serious about this, you're going to put all your into it and make sacrifices. So it doesn't matter where you're from. Where where can the listeners, customers, where can they find your, your work and portfolio? Where do you generally send people? Is it um, my website. Website. Uh, and my Instagram, at showmepatwari, S-H-O-M-I-P-A-T-W-A-R-I, at showmepatwari. So that's my Instagram, and then it's got a link to my website. My Instagram has all the latest videos that I've worked on, so you can watch some of that stuff. Um, if you go to my website, www.illusivemedia.com, elusivemedia.com, same domain I've had since 2003. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, check out some of the work there. That's Maybe we fantastic. can collaborate. There it is. We'll link that up. We appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on and doing this. I know you're super busy, so definitely means a lot. appreciate your uh, pearls of wisdom. Loved it. Thank you.